Hello and welcome to another episode of Air It, the podcast where we air out all our rough ideas of the help of artists and philosophers and interesting people that we find all over the place. <laughs> we hope that you enjoy this episode and just to give you a little taste of how good it was, you can listen to this clip of Nicoline's reaction at the end uh, to motivate you to listen further. Cool, lovely. That was lovely. Probably like an hour and a half. No, hour and ten minutes. Lovely. I'm Nicoline Berger. And I'm Jana Vosloer. And this is Eret. everyone and welcome to this impromptu episode of Air It. Jana and I decided to just jump on Zoom today. We're not in the same location and talk about a topic that has been really prevalent in our lives. I think many people in our age gap at the moment is going to find this very interesting and maybe you've also worked with it a bit in your life but we're going to talk about marriage, specifically the white wedding as we understand it in white Afrikaans culture. So I'm working on a performance piece at the moment about this very topic. And Jana has also been very interested in this topic. She got married a few years ago. And even then in our friendship, it was a topic that we discussed often. So yeah, we're really excited to air this out. It's going to be a very freeform episode and basically just a conversation between me and Jana. But we are lucky to, by accident, have our a new team member, Margot, <laughs> in the studio with us today. So we just quickly want you to hear her voice. Margot, if you'd introduce yourself and maybe just speak a little bit to how you experience being part of this project. Hello, everyone. Margot here. Welcome to the sound of my voice. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so I've been part of Arid now for the past two weeks about and I've been having the most fun it's actually like opened a whole new pathway for me as a graphic designer which I didn't really think was going to happen but yeah I studied architecture and now I'm like freelance graphic designer because I don't actually want to sit in an office <laughs> so thank you Eric for making that possible for me <laughs> um, but yeah working with Jana and Nikolina has been such a good time and listening to the podcast and getting some really good like value and content out of it and making visuals of it has been yeah such a good integrative process which I've really enjoyed so yeah that's me <laughs> fabulous we're definitely going to do an episode with Margo where we explore some themes in architecture if you just quickly want to tell us like the broad theme of your master's architecture so we can give people a little bit of a taste a teaser of what they can look forward to doing a summary of a thesis is not easy but <laughs> <laughs> but um basically my thesis was about a ritual 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 is like the main concept and how we as a society have lost ritual and our ritual has become like a weird thing for us and um, especially ritual in combination with altered states of consciousness like we in the, in the western society I'm speaking very, very generally but in the western society people view altered states of consciousness as like weird <laughs> 
But actually, it's so normal, like dreaming is altered state of consciousness. When you're having sex, it's altered state of consciousness, being so absorbed in like... Spinning around. Spinning around, like... I can't, yeah, Dancing. being drunk. Yeah. <laughs> he is, drinking things. coffee, eating sugar. <laughs> yeah, literally. So, yeah, it was just such a fun thesis to work on, like, exploring how, yeah, how space could reflect ritual and how all the states of consciousness can be triggered through the design of space. So that's pretty much a summary, I guess. <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for sharing with us and also for being part of this project. We are truly excited to have you on the team and also so blessed and grateful that... Yeah, you're just expanding us in the visual <laughs> world, which is fabulous. It um, is and your topic pleasure. that you just <laughs> the topic that you're speaking of now is so on topic to our podcast today. Yeah, I was just about to say it. It's so apt while Margot was speaking, because I think ritual marriage is a kind of ritual that we think we still have. On that note, please go check out our Instagram. You don't want to miss all the hard work Margot <laughs> yeah. has been doing. Um, engage with the content, give us suggestions. You can look forward to some like interactive stories. And I know it's sometimes awkward to like, should I interact in this poll? Should I write a question? But it's something that we really appreciate. And I also want to thank everyone that's been helping us. Even yesterday, some of you gave us some input for today's topic and it's fantastic. Part of our project of Erit is to have a community of people involved. So and share, share the things that you like so your friends can find us as well and find value in what we're doing. Yeah, share and save and yeah. Share the love. Everything you can. <laughs> share the love, share the knowledge. And speaking of sharing the love, <laughs> don't forget that you can support us on Patreon. There's also other ways you can support us. It's all laid out on our website, which is in the link in our bio. Patreon is really a platform for creatives that helps people like us. None of us are receiving payment. Morgo is basically graphic designing for free. This labor of love can really sometimes do with a bit of financial, financial, just like a little push. And uh, then we can also kind of compensate for that and expand even, even further to bring you more than we could have imagined. <laughs> um, okay, so you heard a bit in our intro now that this topic is really one that's been fascinating us we know that there are it's a loaded topic let's say that first and it's one where i think it's important that we position ourselves a little bit like um this is not a for or against marriage conversation this is not a prescriptive like how you should get marriage conversation this is very personal in a sense like us just thinking about or thinking through the way we understand this concept and this, both the struggles and the joys that we can attach to it. So also we are speaking, as Nicolene mentioned, from a very much like the white Afrikaans perspective. That's just the way that we understand this, this type of ritual. And yesterday when I was doing a little bit of research, I came across this PhD that was just on white marriage, like 300 pages. And it's amazing. I'm going to refer to it before but it just made me realize like there's a lot to say on this topic and we'll just like speak our mind but I encourage you to also go like we'll share some resources and do some further research because it's so fascinating yeah Nicoline I want to start by asking you because where are you at at the moment when you think about marriage for some people it's a bit of a trigger word for others they're like it's their ultimate god in life like where do you find yourself on the spectrum so I am definitely one of those that are deeply triggered by the conversation around marriage. 
Um, and as you said, Yana, it is an extremely personal thing. It is so deeply intertwined with family and community and value and yeah, just like initiation, becoming an adult, all of that. So I have been with the same partner for almost 12 years now. And um, we actually have been married to each other for a really long time. And because we had like our own little commitment ceremony where we had a conversation about what our relationship entails and try to be very conscious about negotiating terms of the relationship. So there's a bit of formality to the way that we go about being in a monogamous relationship. Um, but at the same time, I am 26 now. And ever since I finished my studies, there has been this pressure and this prompting and this probing from my family, immediate family, like my, my parents, but also this expectation from my grandparents that we ought to have a formal wedding. So this is something because my art is a reflection of what I'm processing in my being. I have been processing marriage through performance art for a while. I did a performance piece on marriage last year in the series called Evoked, where I turned around a compost heap in a wedding dress that I funkified. I like bedazzled and was thinking a lot about how old traditions need to die or how something needs to die and decompose before something new can come out. And I think I would really describe what I'm feeling at the moment around marriage as this, that there is so much of the old combined with the new in a very crazy and not making sense way. And I feel like there's a lot that still needs to be decomposed from the old realm of marriage to reflect where we are now. Um, in 2021, in the modern age. And I think a lot of people sit on both sides of this canyon. I kind of sometimes feel like I have a foot in, in both worlds and this canyon is splitting between me and trying to balance like the tradition and the conservative aspects of getting married versus this new alternative, very modern woman that I am. So in a very big nutshell, that is where I am. And Jana, you've been married for a few years now. How many years? Two years. It was in 2019, so. Yeah, two years. And I was at your wedding. Um, so how, how was your experience getting married, going through this, actually going through the ritual? And where are you now when you look back yeah. at it? So my partner and I have also been together for now less than you. But like if I think about eight years now and I think we also so I think an important distinction is like there's marriage and then there's weddings and then there's like maybe engagements that's also a very pre-step almost so yeah um, I think we got engaged in 2017 which feels so long ago now but uh, for me negotiating this has been the biggest existential thing ever I like to think that like I was more troubled by the actual act of getting married than like the person I got married to. So like the idea, and this is where also it's personal, like I choose to be monogamous and I am, I also identify like I am heterosexual. So there's that to be said, but then also I'm also a feminist and, and I have an interesting religious way of viewing these things. So I kind of felt um, a lot of my thoughts on it was surrounding 
firstly, can marriage be reconciled with feminism? Uh, that was a big thing for me to try and work through. Secondly, as similar to you, what underlies this craving for public ritual and performance, understanding the performative aspect of that, and why I, in the end, like chose to have that, that ceremony. But then also I think it's very important to talk about the process behind it, because now even reflecting back on it, like I had certain ideas then that I don't hold anymore, um, certain ideas about relationships, certain ideas about marriage. And I think at any time, if you had to get married again, you would do it differently just because you grow and evolve. And that's part of relationships and even the, some of the justifications for marriage. So um, for me, it's been so interesting to reflect on this and also to see what society reflected to me. So my almost the phenomenological experience of being a bride. I feel like I can talk a lot about that because there was like, I wasn't ready for what was coming. And I think um, <laughs> that even the PhD that I looked at yesterday, the, the author also wrote this PhD while getting married. Cause I think going through that experience and seeing how you, how you change and what's projected onto you really like opens up a whole different lens. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. And I, I find it always so interesting that you and I have like a lot of things in common when it comes to this topic, but also I think we have certain differences in our viewpoint as well in terms of the stance we take. So that's why I love talking to you about this because it always re enriches me. Yeah, it, it's very interesting when you say you weren't ready to be a bride, but you thought you were. And I think that that is what also is interesting to me about a wedding is that it, there's this, and me and you both, I kind of spoke about this just before we made the podcast. This is also the, the middle point, the center of the performance piece that I'm working on now. Um, it's your day, this yodach, this yodach. There's this kind of like, almost like a mantra that gets repeated where people are like, oh my word, are you ready for your day? Don't worry, it's your day. And you're kind of like allowed to be selfish. But at the same time, there is this pull of everyone around you kind of imposing things onto you. So how I can illustrate this is that I, a close friend of mine got married, not Jana, and she wanted to have like a kind of alternative wedding, but also wanted to have some of the traditions. And she didn't want to wear high heels. She never wears high heels in her daily life. She finds them extremely uncomfortable. It was very important for her to be comfortable on her wedding day. So she was just going to wear her old Birkenstocks that she is the most comfortable in. The dress was like, falling over it anyway, so no problem, sorted. And then one of her bridesmaids decided, no, she can't wear these Birkenstocks. And they had these tailor handmade fancy ballet shoes made for her, for her wedding. And she didn't want them, but then she had them. And it was this big deal, this reveal and like, oh, wow, we got these shoes for you. And remember you used to do ballet, whatever the story was, there was a whole story. And they spend a lot of money on this. And even though it was her day and she had made a decision, they kind of overrode that decision. And the same with the cake. She didn't understand why you had to have a cake. She never eats cake. She doesn't like cake. And then someone in the wedding party decided, no, 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 this can't be a wedding without a cake and actually ordered a cake and got her cake. And then they had to like force the cake somewhere in the ceremony. And it was like right after they said their vows, they cut the cake because there was no other place in the program where it had to happen. And she's like, I don't understand this thing and I didn't want it. So this push and pull between it's your day, it's your day, it's your day versus what the community decides is going to happen on the day. And this is what makes weddings really, really interesting to me. So do you have a few stories 
if you want to share about this push and pull, like why weren't you ready to be a bride, even though you thought you were ready to be a bride? Yeah, it's exactly, those are like, they're such good stories and I definitely relate to them. Like, so like from what we did, because a lot of it is like choosing what you want to do and you don't want to do, because that's what also happens when you work with ritual and traditions. Um, and so it's very much like a forced reflection, which I think that's probably one of the reasons why I like the idea of getting married, because it forces you to really think about these things in ways that you maybe don't want to. Like the kitchen tea is the one that I like strongly like didn't want because basically the ritual is you buy like kitchen cleaning house stuff and then you only give it to the woman and you maybe play like these weird games and it's just I didn't relate to that at all. It's like for obvious reasons like I'm not the one always cleaning house. Why am I alone in this? And why is we've already lived together for a few years? So why do you? Why don't you give? it to me then if you really wanted to give me cleaning supplies because I feel like everyone would want free cleaning supplies in principle it's a great thing uh I got so much olive oil as well which is amazing but I also like had a surprise kitchen tea like kind of put upon me last minute and it's that thing of now you have to be thankful for it as well because that's part of the bridal image and so for me there's like a lot of tensions there uh with firstly it's that thing of like the aesthetic point of being a bride. So like that I always joked with my partner and I told him, if you in your wedding speech tell me like, you look like a princess today, I will literally divorce you on the spot. Like <laughs> it's always, there's a point is made with like, you have to compliment the bride on how beautiful she looks the whole day. And a lot of the effort that goes into the wedding dress, the makeup artist, because I also didn't want a makeup artist initially because I don't wear makeup in my everyday life and I just didn't, like I could do it myself if I wanted to, but then it has to be there for photos and there's all these reasons why certain things has, in quotation marks, has to happen. So actually in this piece by Danai Mupotsa, it's the, the PhD, she talks about the bridal gaze and I found that so interesting. So like in cinema you have people talk about the voyeuristic thing of like looking at other people and peeping at them and then you have the male gaze of like objectifying the woman but the bridal gaze is like a whole niche thing on its own because there's a very she says there's like a narcissistic thing about it where you put this gaze upon yourself and the pictures and the getting ready even like I would find myself before my wedding, if I saw other people getting wedding, getting married, sorry, and you maybe weren't invited and then you'd go look on their like Facebook, like, oh, I wonder what she looked like or, you know, tiny same pictures of like, look at her dress and everyone is like a little bit obsessed. But then there's also, so there's this kind of masquerade or this thing that you are like almost like a little show pony. Um, mm. And then also uh, they said with like the pictures, because I remember one other thing that I was very adamant about is that I didn't want pictures of us getting dressed. Like, you know, those classic pictures of the bridal party. I'm putting on my shoe. Now I'm putting in my earring. And now my mom is spraying perfume on me. And now all the bridesmaids <laughs> are suddenly laughing at each other and in little matching gowns. And I was like, that's not how I get ready, like ever. No one cares in the morning when I put in my, like, it's just like, why is that, that those phases of that visual thinking, it all has to be captured for the viewing pleasure of your, both yourself, because you start attaching to those ideas. And so now you start planning like, oh, but what are they going to wear? Because those photos are going to be taken. I'm drifting off, but I just think there's something to be said for this visual pleasure that's associated with 
bride disproportionately to the groom, firstly. So there we get the very obvious um, kind of patriarchal aspect of it and how it's this like, it's compulsory heterosexuality here, which is a term we can unpack. It's this whole thing of the, your value and your, like what does your beauty actually have to do with your relationship? It's such a subjective thing in any way. So I want to come back to the original question because a lot of the things that you mentioned now, I think is extremely interesting and hearing you unpack like reasons to have them and not to have them. What happened in the split for you when you initially didn't want a photographer to take pictures and then it did happen? I'm just interested in that tension. Was it community? Was it people? Was it expectation? What is it that because this is what I'm a bit scared of. I'm scared of what is going to happen to me if I say, okay, fine, let's do this. And I'm going to try and be solid in my vision of what a wedding ceremony ritual should look like. And I'm going to create my own vision. And I'm scared that that's going to shift because I've seen it so many times. I've Mm -hmm. seen the intention and then I've seen the end product. And then I'm like, this is so way off of where it started. What is it that kind of like just lets it slide downhill and kind of just take the form that it always takes? I think um, there's probably a lot of reasons, but the ones I can think of is, well, firstly, um, because it's an industry and you get like certain vendors, like a photographer, whatever, like, this is how the ritual actually takes place. And it's performative, not just the wedding ceremony, but the whole industry has made these little rituals. So when you meet with a photographer, they tell you like, this is our timeline. Here's a massive Excel sheet explaining it. We come here for the bridal picture. So it's, it's been so normalized that you almost purchase those decisions Mm. in a way. Mm. Um, And then secondly, I think one thing to understand and that has become clear to me about rituals is, Rituals has always been about community. And the thing that makes weddings so complicated is, is exactly that reason. Everyone is projecting their own values onto the ceremony every time it happens. And I think there's something profound about that, like in a, in a good and beautiful way. The fact that when you have a ceremony and you have to, it, it forces that reflection of like someone who just got divorced, who has to attend it, someone who's against marriage, someone who's buying into it, religious reasons. And it, it, in that presence, like there's a lot of ambiguous and ambivalent things happening. Like there's a lot of tension in rituals in general. Um, And I think that is also why it plays out because it isn't just you're there and your vision. Firstly, it's like the couple, but then there's also the thing about the family, there's money involved. As much as you think you can autonomously say certain things and do certain things, it's always enacted on you in a way that you can't necessarily control. So a lot of it, I think just happens accidentally but not really accidentally because there's all these like discourses that we have created as a society to kind of decide how it looks that's it but this is where the interesting split for me comes into the the ritual and then the individualization that has happened around the wedding ritual like the the where you are asserting your personality through this ritual versus what I understand ritual to be is a set of actions that is taken in a contained space and that the fact that they are repeated in the way that they're repeated and everyone understands their role is what makes it a ritual you know it's very contained and it's repeated over and over and over again this is the traditional sense of ritual that I understand and the interesting piece comes in for me is like through the industry 
this piece of your in the, your identity through this ritual has kind of started swaying that a little bit and destabilizing the fact that it is a ritual that had very specific steps, but now you need to assert your identity through this ritual. And therefore, is it still a ritual? Because now there are these empty shells of what used to be ritualistic elements, but each of them needs to be filled with your assertion of your identity and your personality. So yeah. if you are able to decide what you are chucking out and what you are keeping, this is where I think our, our disconnection to the traditional ritual and ceremony comes in and why it is this drifty thing that's kind of like up in the air and why are we actually, why do we actually do this is the question that I often ask myself. Why do we do this? Because what anchored it used to be the fact that it was very contained. And now what is making it drift is this consumer aspect of who are you through this ritual? Yeah. Um, like um, one can say like these weddings, it's like this cultural moment that's almost very like anxiously ritualized because there's yeah. a lot of unresolved ways and feelings in the ways that we choose to participate in this ritual. And I think actually when, when you were speaking now, it's not surprising to me that, so the individual part of it is almost like the, it's the classic thing of our era of like you have your own personal brand and mm. you almost have to, you have, to, I mean, it's literally what you have to do. You have to brand your own wedding. You have to yeah. choose your color scheme. You have to choose, uh, you know, the type of flowers, the, the type flowers. of mood. Are you, and there's like a million Buzzfeed quizzes to help you with this. Even the feminist wedding has become a brand. Like the wedding industry capitalized on people like me who think they want an alternative wedding, but then actually, it's just like a different package that you receive. Like, okay, cool. You can walk yourself down the aisle. You can do this, 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 this. But the blueprint of it is still was never in itself actually geared to be about the couple in many ways. Like, and we'll talk about some of those traditions and the history behind them a bit later, maybe. But uh, um, that thing about it's your day has always been a, tr a tension, even from the beginning of weddings where, if you think about it, the bride takes the surname, the, the priest gives permission to the husband to kiss the bride. So the bride is always the one just being kissed. It's like you may now kiss the bride, not kiss each other, you know. Uh, and it's on, on the wedding at the reception, it's often the bride doesn't make a speech. So why is it your day, but you're not saying anything and you're not choosing anything? So I think these tensions have always been there. So it's always been like a little bit of a myth that it's a, it's your day or it's a, there's a individuality connected to it because I don't think rituals can ever be a individualized practice. And I think yeah, and I, I think this is now where it gets into the the fairy tale weddings because I'm just thinking about Esther Perel, this relationship therapist uh, that I read a lot, and I read the book called Mating in Captivity. And it's an amazing book if you are thinking about relationships and monogamy and how to negotiate relationships. And she starts the book essentially saying that only in the last few years, like maybe in the last, I don't know, maybe in the last like hundred years, maybe even less marriage and love and what is the other one? Property has all been tied together where in the past it was very clearly economic you get married for property reasons and for security reasons. And, and it was also religious, but religious was kind of like tied to the, the underlying thing of like 
families are joining and property is shared yeah. and political reasons of like are you marrying this person from this group so that alliances can be formed you know so this was, it was a very transactional act and then religion came on top of it and actually monogamy was then really idealized for these bo- these bonds that are created underlying the the marriage to be secure because if monogamy is the is the ideal then these transactions that have been made can be secure so then religious and monogamous and all of that came on top of it and you had lovers you had mistresses and lovers and flings and all these other people that brought adventure and and excitement and passion and yeah so the concept of lovers and then now only in the last few years through the the hollywood idealization of this fairy tale of of love marriage and your lover has become the same thing and mm-hmm. she says that only now in the last few decades your lover and your husband needs to also be your community but now also needs to be the one that stimulates you intellectually the one that does adventures with you the one that's a homemaker the, you know the one that yeah. stimulates you um, as a friend the one that supports you morally the one that has philosophical conversations with you so as we are individualizing more this pool of things all gets placed under who you are married to who your partner is and it's essentially an entire village is expected to be in one person yeah and i think that this all culminates at the wedding because there's all these elements especially in the speeches and in the more modern way of like um how we are coming together where your value and you are being affirmed in so many levels through this ceremony which i find exactly you like as you were speak, speaking i saw this quote from this is where i can bring in one philosopher today uh, simone de beauvoir basically like the in the western canon like the founder of feminism and she was in a relationship with john paul sartre the, who was like a existentialist philosopher so you can imagine they their relationship was nothing but it was nothing there was nothing conventional about it and this was in 1949 that she wrote this and she said marriage is obscene in principle in so far as it transforms into rights and duties those mutual relations which should be founded on a spontaneous urge there it kind of brings in that part also of like the ex- the expectation of this almost mystical other that doesn't exist so where you have these conceptions of the one firstly like so mm-hmm. that's like the person throw throw like, i saw afrikaans liki about throw <laughs> throw which it, it was yeah, so Yara, funny. you shared it with me and i cringed so much <laughs> so funny what annoyed me a lot was the the way that weddings and getting married is exclusively celebrated but the actual reality of what it means to be in a committed uh, relationship and the complexities of that is never discussed so everyone is like oh my word how's married life or congratulations or it's so exciting like i can't wait to be married it's like people actually believe that something changes and i didn't realize that people believe that because i never thought that like the reason why we got married was not to necessarily go into next level it was just to continue with something else so i think there's something incredibly damaging and i think for a lot of people who get married without critically considering this it can become a very big burden when you wake up one day because firstly like if you didn't live together or you've never had sex or whatever the reason is like it can become 
I mean, it's a shock to realize, oh, nothing changes. Imagine like you've been sold this lie your whole life. Yeah. And actually there's a lot of difficult things about relationships that has nothing to do with whether you're married or not. So I really like this one video that the School of Life made where they said they're going to redesign a wedding because wedding ceremonies don't actually reflect the realities of marriage. And it starts with like how you have to admit to everyone that you are like a flawed human being and you have to say like, and the whole congregation stands up together and you, instead of making your vows, you'd say something like, you know, I know that when I'm angry, I don't express my feelings to you and I sulk in silence and I will blame <laughs> you for it. And then I will, you know, still staple will happen. And all of these things like actual, and they also gave each other like a picture of their child. And they were like, look at this child, like this inner child. That's their, their child, the, the children they were. Yeah, so yeah, yeah exactly. Picture so of them as a child. Exactly. Yeah, sorry. That's what I yeah. mean. And no, I love it, that. It's just like, start even though it sounds bleak i feel like it's way more important to like invent our rituals in ways that actually reflect our realities instead of a false promise even though it's good to be aspirational uh, and there's a lot of joy in in relationships but i don't think you know weddings can be way more multifaceted in in their rituals than yeah and coming back to esther perel and simone de beauvoir what you said simone de beauvoir says that what did she say the the things that should flow naturally or yeah. like the the, like the spontaneous urge, yes. spontaneous so, urges so so esther perel speaks about how even those spontaneous urges has been a lie it's part of the fairy tale that things are just going to fall in place and people will just know what to do so she takes this approach of a relationship being very transactional in the sense that you negotiate your needs. So what's beautiful about this is that she actually recommends every six months that you, in your, if you're in a long-term relationship or whether that is monogamous or polygamy or whatever, how open it needs to be, the person that you are in relationship with, even your boss and your friends, but she speaks now specifically in romantic relationships, you have a set of... Um, almost like a contract where you negotiate certain of your needs and she takes you step by step through this. And this is often something that I also feel is lacking in, in the wedding ceremony where you say, what you speak of, it's like, it's very on the surface level. It's we making this commitment to each other, but have we really deeply considered what our needs are, what our blind spots are, what school of life did in that video as well is like being really, really honest about what your needs are from this person so that there's a very clear structure when you're going in. And I feel like the contract uh, that we sign when we get married is very transactional in terms of economic reasons. But when it comes to emotional support and emotional um, negotiations, there's not much that's supporting us. And when I, I asked some friends and family that got married in the Enchekerk, I asked them, what is the pre-marriage council like? And they were like, no, there's, there's absolutely no guidance around nonviolent communication, how do you actually communicate what the role division is going to be, what the expectations are from each party? Because I think that's something that's not often spoken and then can cause a lot of problems along the line. Who's the one that's going to take out the garbage and who's the one that's going to clean the dishes? You know, these kind of very practical things. There's yeah. no one really guiding you in that. But then you have this massive party where you say all these beautiful words and commitments that it seems so deep and everyone's crying their eyes out. But what is the structure supporting this? And I think that is why so many marriages are crumbling because there's no emotion, emotional structure that's built into the ritual of getting married. 
Yeah, I I agree with you completely. Very passionate about this, as you um, can see. No, I, I think <laughs> I think that's so true. Do you want to talk a bit about should we should we go deeper into some of these rituals? Yes, I think, and then I think the the one thing that I'm going to start with because we are aligning it a bit to this performance piece that I'm doing. Um, it's happening on the 15th of June and it's a private performance. So it's fully booked, unfortunately, already. But I am going at the end to tell you where you can book for future because it's going to happen at my house and it's a very intimate gathering. It's literally going to be a wedding. We're going to enact a COVID this wedding. wedding, a COVID <laughs> wedding. Um, and specifically, um, this desire in me, this is what I wanted to say earlier as well. And there's this part of me that when I was 13, teenager, that really dreamt about this white wedding because it was, you know, the fairy tale that's told to you from a very young age. I had the flip file and everything. And this part of me still need, has this desire for some form of ceremony. And this performance is essentially to kind of air that out in the spirit of airing things out, like really just get it out in the air and to see what space is created in my being. Yeah, get it out of my system, you know, let's just enact this. And the the first thing that we're going to work with is a lot this consumerist aspect of the wedding. So the wedding planner, like everyone that's involved, the wedding planner, the photographer, the makeup artist, the, you know, the whole crew. And then this expectation of the guests arriving, the guests, the guests, the guests, the guests are coming, but it's your day, it's your day, you know, like this whole thing about the performative aspect of it. So that's the first thing that I want to say. But before we get to that, there's a part that we're not going to address in the um, performance that I think is very interesting. And this is this, the bachelorette and the bachelors and what it means to be a bachelor versus what it means to be a young noy, a bachelorette. But in, in Afrikaans, it's yeah. like a terrible word. Oh, young noy just like literally means you're an old, young girl. So like it means someone... Yes, it's someone that is stagnated and didn't get married, so essentially wasn't initiated into adulthood. So the word says, oh, young noy, old, young girl. And it's a say, so, the other word in English that's also a horrible word is a spinster. Like, oh, my goodness. Or maiden. You know, spinster when you're not... So, like, anything when you are not married, so even from a widow perspective or whatever, it has, like, a, a weird connotation. And I, I think that this, these roles kind of come out in the way that the bachelorette and the bachelors play out. I really think that the contrast between these two terms come out in there because there's this element of the man being trapped by the bride, you know, yeah. like it's your last night of freedom. Yeah. You need to be free now. How do you feel about giving up your freedom? Yeah. Versus the bachelorette, which I don't know, Yana, if you want to speak a bit to this contrast between the two terms yeah exactly because the bachelorette is also well i guess there's typical ways because the kitchen tea is already like the, the bachelorette almost has a two-part so part one is mm. the kitchen tea which is that whole initiation into domestic womanhood if we can call it that and then there's also like the the kind of bachelorette that is i guess in modern days it's like a bit more it's actually very sexualized, which is interesting that that's where it plays out. Because for a man, it's not really as much. Okay, you have the whole stripper thing, but that's connected. No, it's very sexualized. It's, it's connected in different ways. So for the man, mm. the stripper, but it's almost like you get a taste more to explore your freedom before it ends. And I feel like for the women, it's like 
you literally buy each other underwear and you almost like yeah. you initiated for them. Like you can start now where the man is. Yes. Not so I feel it's almost like we, an education that happens at the bachelorette, yeah, you know, exactly. like how you dress, what and you games, do. Like how well do you really know him and tips for how to keep the flavor, flavor of love alive or whatever. Um, but also, like, once again, this is a very, like, heteronormative thing about weddings as well, with the, like, whole way in which straight relationships function. But, yeah, I, I, I would be super interesting to see how you put this all in your performance. An element that we are going to address without giving too much away is this split between genders that happens at weddings, which I think is extremely interesting because there's so many experiences that are shared, you know, like these moments. Tufalech. Why can't I think of the English word of Tufalech today? Coincidentally, I've been watching New Girl again, just in the background while painting. And the one episode I watched yesterday was um, Cece and Smith is now going to get married. And they have the bachelor and bachelorette and then there's this moment around the dress and the dress is very much tied to the bride and the woman you know like that is around is the mom making the dress who's the maid and then there's a moment where the dress is revealed you know so these kind of moments snapshots get out your polaroid moments are very gendered when it comes to weddings and i don't i can't really think of a lot of moments on the man's side, maybe because I've never been part of it. So I don't know what happens on that side. I know that they drink whiskey when they get dressed. Sometimes there's this thing around the drink that you drink or something like that. And, uh, and then there's the bachelors, but I don't know really what else, but on the woman's side, there's all of these. And then there's the, the, the day that the flowers are revealed and then the cake arrives, you know, like there's all these gendered moments, but they're split and they're different in essence which I find extremely interesting. Yeah, there's a few, I mean, even the fact that you obviously don't traditionally spend the night together before your wedding and the way you, you know, everything happens separately and then you can only see each other for the first time. And also I think there's an element of fun that's in a way missing from the bridal side. Like it's way more just like, you there's like the stress projected onto you like you need to get yourself ready you need to get yourself focused and for the man it's like almost like joking around still and being silly on the day which I really felt like I had FOMO over like I I feel like we had a lot of fun Uh, I remember I had to convince everyone the night before my wedding that it's okay for me to go to aces and spades and party a little bit like not having it not having it and I was like are you literally gonna stop me now But I think this split in genders makes a lot of sense when you go look back in the history where the man potentially didn't even know the woman. They weren't maybe even in the same village or town. They're coming from separate families. You know, they they haven't slept together or lived together. They might actually only be meeting each other the first time. But, and, and maybe the only reason we're doing it today still is because it's fun and because it is interesting and it creates this sense of mystery around the the ceremony that's going to take place the day after not spending the yeah. night together before but yeah and also like the bridesmaids and the groomsmen like historically had while well, i read up about so the way the reason why they have matching outfits that's this was so fascinating to me because like why do we love this little bit of matchy matchy well there were two i think different reasons but initially all the bridesmaids had the same dress on as the bride so they literally all wore the same 
and it was to confuse people who might want to like so the brides then had like dowries and certain like financial stuff that they had at the moment that that could be stolen so they wanted to kind of they were like a disguise it was like a very cool like hardcore they're protecting them like no one can identify who the real bride is and yeah so it was kind of also so as to not like know exactly who it is so if other men maybe wants to steal this bride or something weird like that and yeah so they they literally walked with her in the streets together and like became her protective armor and even the best man was actually supposed to be the strongest man to be able to ward off anyone who wants to come into the church um and steal the bride steal the bride so yeah that was quite interesting and also like white wedding dresses only came i think with queen victoria before that brides were red so she actually just liked the idea of purity and then after that everyone started wearing white dresses see now now that custom is so changed that i've heard that when people have their second weddings they don't wear white again because they're not quote-unquote pure so like it's this very strange how we kind of rationalize the traditions that we have because the the bridal party the bridesmaids also were potentially only like servants or people that were part of the family or served the family but they weren't necessarily your closest friends when now because a wedding is such an event it's literally managing an entire event you need a team of people to support you and all the things that need to be organized therefore they are trusted friends and close people to you that you share this experience with but they still dress the same which comes from way back and actually doesn't make sense at all yeah. for this moment. Yeah. And why would the men need best men or what do you call them? Yeah. Groomsmen at all. If there's only supposed to be one strong man protecting the bride. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, even till t- today, it seems like the groomsmen's roles are a bit ambiguous. <laughs> they maybe have a WhatsApp group and plan <laughs> the bachelors, but Definitely, it's like, it's fascinating to go into these historical facts and to see like what we think we are doing isn't necessarily even traditional, like the same with the bouquet toss and the garter. So uh, the bouquet was like in the Greek times, it was like just herbs. Uh, and I think there was something also with the Black Plague where they had garlic. Yes. So it was literally like wearing a mask with COVID now, like that was the purpose of the bouquet is to like, and there was also a lot of like evil spirits, like warding off evil spirits. Yeah. And that's also the reason for the veil. And the, the other thing was that bouquet toss was literally just a distraction because initially after people got married, they had to go straight to the deed. And I know there's even places where you see those in art, you can see all those old paintings of it's like the bride and the groom and they have like the sheets around their bed and then everyone else is watching and I think you had to show that the sheet has like blood on it or something to prove that you actually did it. And then also the bouquet toss was just so that the guests won't like notice it that they was are lucky to, it was lucky to get a piece of the, of the wedding dress. So then yeah. it ended up badly for the women because they would, people would just run and tear pieces mm. of the dress. So the garter and the bouquet was a decoy. So they just threw things and people caught it for luck. There was actually so much tied to evil spirits and warding off like bad energy around the wedding. The traditions are, in a way, way more obscure than, than what we would think they are. And it would be interesting to now think, but if we now have to think honestly, what, what are really then the meanings behind our traditions today? So why do people wear veils today? Why do you, does your father walk you down the aisle? Why do you have a cake? There was something weird about like the crumbs of the cake that they also did something 
long ago. Um, I also know yeah. it was an Afrikaans tradition, which my one housemate didn't believe until I had I showed her the piece of cake that my grandmother had. It was good luck to keep a piece of the cake until the first child is born, and then you eat the wedding cake at the at the um, the do uh, yes the, the christening. Yeah, the christening. I know that one as well, and a lot of people keep their own christening cake for their wedding day as well. What? Oh yeah, but I, oh my goodness. Oh, is it your but I, that's why it was like good stuff with those old <laughs> Yeah, but that's why it was a fruit cake with a fondant over yeah. and like and only nowadays it's like you can get cupcakes or meringue cakes or whatever cake with a surprise inside. When we did the episode with Azil Kutsia last year on white Afrikaans femininity, we spoke a lot about how this alternative culture has formed in South Africa. If you do not identify as Afrikaner in the traditional sense, then you are alternative. And it creates this big pool of people outside of the center of the tradition that are all just kind of chucked into the alternative corner. And there's no like other cultures. So you, you're essentially kind of cultureless, but some of your cultures are still attached to the Afrikaner dorm, but you're not really, and you, you know, like this in between. And I, I think that a lot of my anxiety around the wedding is that these two are going to come together in one place. I come from a very conservative family, but I am the arty one that is spiritual and strange. So now I need to align my spiritual hippie dippy friends with my very conservative family. And how do they come together, together in one ceremony? That is always the big question. What do you keep and what do you take out? So my one Russian friend, Sergei, I told him about this conundrum and I was like, I really honestly don't know what to do. Like if, if I'm going to have a wedding, there's going to be all of these expectations projected onto this, but the ceremony is going to be my own because I do ritual and ceremony in my daily life. So I know what it means to create a ritual for myself. Therefore I will create a ritual with my partner for our love relationship that is honored in community. This is what it means to me. And then he said, no, 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 you invite your parents, but you write out exactly what is going to happen. You say, come to my wedding, but this and this and this and this and this is what's going to happen. This is what you can expect. I'm inviting you for this thing. I'm not inviting you for the thing that you're expecting. And then see what happens because then the expectations are in check. So I have a question. If you could redo your wedding and you could have your own day completely, what would change? What would it look like? I don't know if this is a strange question, but like if you would imagine a wedding right now and how you would have it if no one else had any input and it was really your day, you and Martin's day, what would it be like? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I, I haven't even thought about it because to be honest, like even before getting married, I didn't have a file and I actually always told my parents like I'm not getting married. So I never had like too many dreams. It's only when we actually got engaged that I was now like forced to get a Pinterest board to get my vision <laughs> checked. <laughs> I, I'm at peace with some like the things I chose to do and not to do. It was a special day, but I still think I wouldn't want to place as much emphasis on one day and rather focus on ways that we can still do is of having more continuous rituals that honor this but my initial vision was actually just to elope in Mozambique to be honest like I think I need to honor the decisions I made at a certain time and the way I uh, to also remove that pressure of like what you have to be 
as a bride and appreciate the the learnings that I got from it. And I think like I would just encourage other people to to try and think very carefully. And even when you go through the process, like be as reflective as you can, because things will be reflected onto you that you might not expect. Mm-hmm. Our intention from the get go was like, it's just this day in this party, but I think you also have to be realistic about what the seriousness of what it really is and what that ritual carries. And what you said about, you have to bring now your parents and the conservative side and your own personality into one room. That's exactly what the ritual was for me is you you do bring them in one room because they are all part of your life. And that is always messy. Like there's no way that those people are going to get on the same page or there's a, there's a big possibility that they won't, uh, but they all need to kind of love you and you need to love them and embrace it in that difficultness. So I just think I, that's why I resonated so much of that school of life videos. We just have to like take a step back and be more realistic about what weddings actually are. What this ritual exposes is not, necessarily this fairy tale thing but yeah i think it's an interesting question i'll, I'll probably have to reflect on it a bit more no but i think in that's beautiful mm, knowing that the ritual has more to do with the community and for the community than it is really your day so maybe the lie is that it's not your day it's your day is a different day when you're eloping into mozambique it is a day for acknowledging your relationship with the community therefore it's a day for the community to celebrate your love which i actually resonate a lot with that makes more sense to me when with our current weddings than your day yeah it is never your day but it is your relationship yeah. and i think the other thing is also like just because you are like a feminist getting married like marriage in itself isn't necessarily feminist and I think, or well, that's my view on it. And I think you can say that about a lot of practices and rituals that we have. Like we speak about marriage, but there are so many other ways of life and things that we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just because of our like societal norms and stuff that they will be there anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think definitely, as you said, there's the re-evaluation of what our rituals mean to us is actually a whole different conversation. And I don't have the answer to how we can start doing that but it's definitely something we should do. Well, I think we yeah, should. No, I also don't have a, a clear idea. Two things I'm working on at the moment. And then Jana, you can maybe just read this quote for us at the end. Cause I think it's a good one to end on. Yeah. Um, but so with regards to this wedding performance that I'm doing with Mandri Sutherland, going to be something that we're repeating and it might not be the same theme, but we're working a lot with our white Afrikaans femininity and the themes that come out in, in working with that and processing that in our being. So if you would like to attain, attend one of these private performances, you can send us an email to airedpodcast.gmail.com and I will put you on our database and you'll receive an invitation when the next one happens. And then something else that I want to plug is that I am doing painting from my house um, every Wednesday and it's just very intuitive painting sessions where we work a lot with expression and art as a form of processing emotional things so it it is aimed to unblock creativity whether that is a, a writer's block or a block in your relationship or any kind of creative block in your life painting is just the medium that you use to work through that um, and then it's also something that you can expand and return to. It's like doing yoga for stress relief. Um, it's doing painting for emotional processing and stress relief as well. 
So if you're interested in that, you can also reach out to me via Instagram or just email us to air it. And then Jana, please end off with this quote from Frida Kahlo, the movie, which is a movie I watched like 10 times already. I love it so much. Yeah. And then just yeah. to contextualize it, yeah. one of Frida's very close friends says this at her wedding to Diego and Frida. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to add before that, like we've, we really just, just had a free flowing conversation and airing our thoughts and there were very different themes that you can go into with the consumerism side and the feminism side and the ritual side. But I, this quote like just summed it all up for me in a very funny way. I think Nicolene and I watched this movie once, well, one of the 10 times that she watched, we watched it together in Pulp. And afterwards I was like, yes, like this is the thing you need to tell me if I ever get married because I uh, love it so much. And for context, like Frida and Diego uh, also had a very <laughs> complicated relationship with a lot of, cheating and commitment issues but also like that whole thing of like can't be separated but can't be together vibes but this is kind of the best woman or just a friend I don't know who said it to her in, in their speech um, and I'm going to try and read it as well as I can but if you can go watch the movie it will be even better for you so she says I don't believe in marriage no I really don't let me be clear about that I think at worst it's a hostile political act, a way for small-minded men to keep women in the house and out of the way, wrapped up in the guise of tradition and conservative religious, religious nonsense. At best, it's a happy delusion. These two people who truly love each other and have no idea how truly miserable they are about to make each other. But, <laughs> but when two people know that, and they decide with eyes wide open to face each other and get married anyways, then I don't think it's conservative or delusional. I think it's radical and courageous and very romantic. And then she says, cheers to Diego and Frida. Thank you for this conversation, Jana. Cheers to that. And if you have anything to add, any questions, any contradictions, you are always welcome to send us messages and emails. We love getting that. 